What's going on, everybody? This is James Grandmaster Facts Boys, and welcome everybody to the Facts Project. Today, my special guest, good friend, great comic creator, great comic artist, TJ Sterling from Ray Comics. Thank you, sir. Yeah, what up, man? I, I, said it, I said it when you first got on. Dope ass background <laughs> for anybody that's not seeing what I'm seeing. All right, and I can I can literally pull up the comic that this is from because this is probably I'm gonna say. Uh, Okamus one, that background. Am I getting that correct? It's, it's just promo art for the Kickstarter, no cover. It should be on the cover. It should be on the cover, man. That's a hard ass cover, man. I'm telling so, you, if I could just blank myself out, you can see more of it. It's pretty fucking wild, man. Hey, man, you drew it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Hey, yes, sir, man. Um, but yay, hey, everybody, what's up, man? It's your boy TJ Sterling. Uh, Ray Comics president, lead artist, you know, storyteller, writer, um, comic book aficionado, and a lover of all things nerdy, sci-fi, podcasty. Um, yeah, I'm I'm ready to go. Let's do it. Let's talk. Most definitely. And first, let's talk about Okamist number six. Now, note, uh, I'm sorry, Okamist number four, because I keep getting that messed up because this is four of six in this series. And necessarily, when I first got the first three books uh that's episode zero one two and three we get to to the almost the origin story not, not necessarily of kale the protagonist in the storyline and notably there's a lot of time jumps that are happening from the past present and future now necessarily there's like a of course there's a lot of tech involved in this there's a lot of sci-fi elements that are involved in this storyline could you could you let us know about Kale? Yes, sir. I'd love to tell you. So uh, the main character, uh, Kale Alonzo, is a uh, consummate comic book orphan. Um, some typical, uh, well, I would say some some comfortable and and you know used archetypes are in there in terms of like a character that doesn't have much family, but you know, there's something special about him, you know, no one really thinks there's anything special about him because, you know, why would they think, you know, one you know, lone young black kid is special, you know what I'm saying, especially in the terms of the world that he lives in, in terms of the world we live in. But there's definitely something special about this character. And the dope part about, you see, when you are introduced to the Okamas series with Okamas issue zero, you see Kale as a fully grown, matured adult. Um, a hero that's seasoned, that's been doing it for a long time. He's probably in his 40s by the time you see him at Okamas issue zero. Um, so you get kind of like a big budget action movie, you know what I'm saying? The first time you even see Okamas and, and there's lots of action and suspense and drama. And um, I'm a big fan of martial arts and um, Sentai genre. So you see a little bit of that flavor in the very first book. Um, and he's kind of towards the end of his journey. And then we kind of press pause on that. And then issue one picks up where the same character, Kale, is right. a young man. So before he has any powers at all. So it's kind of like, how did we get to the almost end of the story now back to the beginning? What's the significance of that time jump? And what does it spell for the rest of the series, you know, go forward? So I like nonlinear storytelling. I'm a big Tarantino movie fan. Uh -huh. uh, Kill Bill is one of my favorite movies of all time. Pulp Fiction, just how stories are can be spliced together in a non-linear fashion and uh you know just a quick example of something that i really thought was incredible was um was watching this show la's finest with uh 
Gabrielle Union and Jessica Alba, two beautiful goddesses. Uh, and there's one episode where they start, you know, the scene with, you know, two young outlaws. And then they fast forward to another scene where there's a possible serial killer that looks like this young outlaw, but it was actually the younger version of the main character with a similar path. You know what I'm saying? So it confused the audience, it confused the people who watched it first. Like, yo, what is this? Like, is this mm -hmm. from something else? And it makes them think. And that's what we like to do at Ray Comics with our storytelling style is to do stuff that makes you think that kind of catches you off guard. Like, wait a minute, this isn't a regular origin story. This is way different than you know, what I would expect when I picked up the book. Right. And then we, we're basically seeing him grow throughout this this whole journey and we're seeing him battle the makai if i'm saying that correctly correct well uh older the older version of kale in issue zero is battling the makai right. um the, the makai are um cybernetic um enhanced biomechanical monsters you know creatures that are no longer human but they're not machine either they're kind of a mix between both mm -hmm. but all animalistic you know what i'm saying all reduced to um primal instincts if you will to right. kill to hunt to eat and to survive um issue one uh you know so issue zero takes place in a desolate dark future you know much further into a, a very interesting timeline where issue one takes place in our, our regular time in the 2010s i think 2015 is when mm -hmm. we have uh issue one when it debuts so it's kind of a interesting space for the character because it's it's just modern day and there's nothing there's no monsters it's regular everyday life but the main character kale feels that there's something wrong senses that that maybe he's not where he's supposed to be which is kind of another interesting tug to kind of make you the audience realize that something else is going on and then all of a sudden these characters that are behind me mm. the hunters show up from this desolate future looking for kale yeah and it's like he feels like he's being hunted but that's not necessarily the case and in the beginning when they are searching for him you kind of get that that feeling within the comic are are they the antagonists or are are they are they actually there to help and then you come to find that out later on that's correct the question for me is always like what is what makes a villain? I think, you know, there's there's not, there's a reason why movies like, you know, The Joker and actors like Heath Ledger and Joaquin Phoenix win, you know, these Oscar awards, because I think understanding what can push a character over the edge is more relatable than a character that can be altruistic and, you know, perfect and, you know, never ever make mistakes, you know what I'm saying? Sure. So I, I, I always like to kind of question what is a villain? What is, um, and also again i like to flip you know flip expectations i like to just mess with people with the story i want to like make them think so it's like the characters that you think are, are cool looking mm -hmm. and are and are, you know you think would be the hero because that's what you're used to you're going to get something totally different where all the hunters are actually the villains of the story and you know they've killed people and they've you know killed mecca and done lots of horrible things to get to their goal over the years mm -hmm. before they even get into this main story now, I always have a an interesting hot take on the newest uh, villain that I well has been introduced since 2018, Null, in the Marvel Marvel universe in in the comics. Now, recently, there's this storyline called King and Black that just happened, 
But if anybody knows the origin story of Null that Donnie Case brought up, here is an, a cosmic entity floating amongst the universe by himself, pretty much an introvert, not messing with anybody because there's no one there until the celestials arrive, which then starts the creation of the universe and everything like that. And he feels bothered because he is an introvert <laughs> and he feels as though he must attack, you know? So, and, and in, in essence of that, they throw him in a shell and he's, he's living in his own little sphere for a long period of time. And that starts the generation of the symbiotes, which was Venom, Carnage, all, all the other parasitic creatures. But the thing is, I always look at his character as I don't think of him as a villain because like this wouldn't have happened if the world hadn't if the universe had not been interrupted and yet it was that's why he acts the way he acts you know i feel as though i i feel i feel personal feeling towards that story because i was like if i like i'm an introvert i like to do things just chill by myself without interaction from a lot of people and when i get annoyed then i have a reaction that's how i feel about no <laughs> that's, I mean, that's a great point, man. And, you know, just, uh, you know, shout out to Donnie Cates, man. Fun fact, him and I were interns at Marvel at the exact same time. You know, we, wow. uh, yeah, like we, like he was an editorial intern. I was a production intern. And, you know, we both were in the Spider-Man parade back in, you know, 2009. And, uh, well, the, the Spider-Man float for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade. So again, we're, he's a, he's a friend of mine and um, a fantastic writer. So shout out to Donnie. Mm-hmm. Definitely, man. Definitely. He's, he's always been a fabulous friend. It's, and it sucks that he's going to leave Venom. He actually announced that like last week that uh, Venom 200 is going to be the last collaboration of him and Ryan Stegman doing that, doing that. And they, they pushed that boundaries as long as they've had. And they're just going to move right. on to, to better, better things, which is something to segue into what you're doing. So, of course, there's six, six issues in Okemos. You're already working on another book with Newton Lillavoy, uh, creator of Crescent City Monsters. And you're doing, if I'm saying it correctly again, Villain Us. Villain Us, yes, sir. So, so yeah. what is the inception of this storyline? Absolutely. Uh, so quickly, just to give people an idea, because I want you, just before I jump into that, Okemos is currently at issue four. So we've got issue zero, one, two, three, and four. So there's five books in total at the moment that you can get into, you can dive into and see what that story is like. Issue five is written, it's being drawn as we speak. And then issue six is gonna follow up shortly afterwards. So that's gonna close out the very first arc. And then we're mm -hmm. going to jump into another series, um, which is gonna be basically a spinoff of Okemos. And uh, focused on- Yes. So uh, spinoff of Okemos would be um, uh, the Tessina miniseries. So you see in the background, the woman character. Yep. That's, what, that's what I was hoping for. Yeah. So it's going to be our first woman led series, which is going to be really dope because it's it's a little it's written a little different. It's more like a buddy cop sci fi comedy, mm -hmm. um, the way it's kind of written. And, and, you know, it's written from a woman's perspective from the future, you know what I'm saying? Who used to be a villain, but now maybe changing her stripes, maybe trying to do something better with her life. Um, so I'm super excited about that. There's, um, our, we have already two books done in the pipeline. We have them behind the scenes. We can't show them to anybody wow. yet just because Okemos issue six has to finish before we unveil anything. It's just essential to, from one story to follow the other for it to be, for it to flow correctly. Mm. So, 
Um, I encourage anyone who's watching just to just jump on the series. We got digital versions, print versions. Um, this series is great. We've been around for five years, killing it. And I know that you're going to love it. And uh, back to other titles. So we have at Ray Comics quite a bit of books coming out, mm-hmm. um, which we're really excited about. Excuse me. Okamist Dark History is is probably the the one that you might see before Tessina. It all depends. They may drop the same time or maybe before. Okamist Dark History follows Kale's parents in this, you know, desolate future timeline. So you get, you know, a big backstory behind the Okamist series and what it's about. And it's being drawn by Sean Damian Hill, who's an absolute beast and incredible artist. Um, Definitely. Yeah, he's he's killing it, man. He's about um, a little like a little over halfway done with the book, and you know it's being colored as we speak. So that's going to be a treat for you guys, I guarantee it. Um, and then after that, we have got two other really incredible books. Um, the next one is Villain Us. Me and my good friend uh, Newton Lillibois are writing a well, we are creating a cyberpunk noir tale. Uh, where you we're actually seeing the main character is a villain and we're seeing it from his perspective and you know he's he's a very um the character's name which i think we can say yeah we can say this um because we debuted some information on it earlier is uh, the main character's name is shatter mm-hmm. he's a uh, very dark villain that you know is kind of maniacal kind of crazy something happened to him in his past that changed the way he thinks, changed his brain chemistry. So, you know, his way of getting rid of problems is just, you know, killing folks and destroying, you know, you know, destroying companies and conglomerates. And he's just, you know, if you think of what Dr. Doom does on this massive scale, Hmm. this is, you know, very much in that vein of a, uh, why, why can, you know, how can we love a villain and what is a villain? Because I think so many times, you know, peacekeepers and, and you know, uh, people who are visionaries were branded villains, whether it's someone like Malcolm X or, you know, uh, Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's all these progressive individuals that thought outside the box that challenged the status quo. When you challenge the status quo, you know, when you're Black or you're a person of color, period, usually you get murdered or you just disappear. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, think about these crazy stories like the the, the Asian woman in China who discovered the coronavirus disappears out of nowhere nowhere to be found like mm-hmm. like it, it does not not strike folks as crazy you know what i'm saying that they will make you disappear when you're a person of color shit doesn't happen to white folks like that it just doesn't so true um but i said so we're you know me and newton we love sci-fi and we absolutely love cyberpunk like we're huge cyberpunk fans and we wanted to really tell a story that's you know futuristic and noir and cyberpunk and just 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 edgy you know what i'm saying yeah. so that's where we're going with it and the art's looking incredible man i, I mean we're, we're super close for the book to be done and i just cannot wait to share it with everybody it's going to be really incredible now of, of all the people to collaborate when when newton was basically essentially when you when y'all brought up this idea and note he he his first book line was a horror story based in new orleans with with a lot of Creole and Haitian uh, backstory and everything like that. And you, you're figuring out like, who is the best person to just put this together? Why Newton? It's a great question, man. I mean, I, I honestly 
comics to me are fun. Like I don't yeah. work. Cause I think when you think about corporate America, you think about like a nine to five job of being kind, you work with folks cause you have to, not because you want to. Mm-hmm. And um, for me with comics and when I started my business, I made it um, part of my credo, you know what I'm saying? Part of what we were as a company and who I was as a creator and a visionary that I'm going to work with people that I a respect and B that I admire and also who I vibe with on like an unnatural level, like, Newton and I are very similar in terms of our analytical minds and, you know, how we think and how we look at stuff and our stories, sense telling style structure and, and, you know, just our different view of like what we think comics should look like, you know what I'm saying? We just, and when I said, we, we became friends after being at various cons together over the years and being on panels together. And like I said, he just, we, him and I just, we, we click and vibe on Mm -hmm. a, um, on just like a natural level it's not really forced so that's why i was like yo man like what you doing doug like let's let's work on something <laughs> it's <just> that easy <laughs> that's it like it wasn't even like it wasn't even like pulling teeth man i to be perfectly honest because i work with folks i think any of us have tried to work with folks and it doesn't it doesn't pan out 100 percent. and i've been enough to really only run into that once but every other person who I've worked with has, has been smooth sailing. It's been, it's been love again. Sean Hill's a good friend of mine. I love his work and, you know, him and I, because I'm an artist too. So it's like when you are, you know, art directing another artist, you know what I'm saying? You know yeah. what you can bring, help bring out of his strengths. You can see his strengths like, yo, man, we know we can draw this a little better or yo, won't you try adding this? And it's, you know, a really powerful collaboration and, um, Another book that I also am working on is uh, a book called Aliens, Pimps, and Genies. And it's uh, a book with my good friend, Greg Anderson, Elise. Oh, um, it's Nana. Okay. Yeah, the, the creator of It's Nana, The Weird Spider. And um, this book is, is, a, is a completely risque, off-the-wall sex comedy because <laughs> Greg and I at cons, if you've ever seen us together at cons, which you will at one point, Mm-hmm. We're just nasty motherfuckers, man. We talk about nasty shit. We're weird. Like we just <laughs> he's flirting with motherfuckers. I might be flirting with somebody. Like you just you don't say like it's just it's we just have a lot of fun and we're freaked out here in the head. So we're taking all those weird, freaky experiences and stories we have mm-hmm. and inserting them into a book about aliens, pimps, and genies, and it's going to be absolutely ridiculous. See, it's good to see the other side of you guys sometimes, man. Because <laughs> I remember I just had a conversation with uh, Sebastian Jones uh, from uh, Stranger Comics. And, you know, he threw me for a loop when he he brought up the ruining Christmas idea. And I was like, wait, you had this storyline uh, revolving around this uh, nomadic uh, young little girl str- uh, basically str- uh, stranded throughout the wastelands and have orcs and a lot of fantasy and everything like that. And you're doing a storyline on a bunch of elves who doing dick and fart jokes and talking about ruining Christmas. It was like, and he was like, yeah, people don't see that other side of me that often, but fuck it, man. But that's cool though. That's cool. Because you know what I'm saying? I guess the obvious thing to say is that you guys aren't one dimensional. You know what I'm saying? You do have other interests there's a lot to your personalities than just, you know, what you're putting on the page or the first thing they put on the page. You know, I'm pretty sure a lot of directors that have done movies or anything like that started out doing something that they actually loved and they thought that that was perfect. And then they got forced corporate wise to do things that 
yeah, I could work with this, but this isn't really my niche. Yeah, man, that's what it is. It's just like, it's, you know, how do you keep comic books pure? And um, but the, well, how do you keep any creative enterprise pure? And I think mm-hmm. it's obviously the people you work with, it's the people you associate with, it's, um, you know, how you hold yourself in business, what your expectations are. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you walk into a con and you're only thinking about money. You know, yeah. you're, you're never, you're never going to have a good time. Like you're never going to reach that because, it, you know, you're not, because, you know, conventions and, you know, larger events are about the people and they're about networking and building and really um, getting to know these fans. I mean, you know what I'm saying? When you think about the essence of comic conventions, I mean, first it started out in the 70s as a um, as an industry thing where it's like, okay, other fellow creators would show up and talk and, you know, it was, a, it was like a party. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, the fans were able to come in and meet their favorite creators and it was such a powerful experience for the fan i mean i know when i first met todd mcfarlane i was like yo this is a dude i looked up to when i was a kid as an artist mm-hmm. and it meant so much to me that he was cool and you know signed some books and then he took a look at my art and gave me some critiques like you know it was one of the best days of my life professionally and creatively to be able to meet someone like that so um you know you, you have to keep your creative endeavors pure by um Again, just just thinking about what makes sense, man, and not looking at it from yeah. you know like a, like a check, if you will. Yeah, and, and I guess it's 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 not it's not totally beneath anybody to like push the envelope, whether it's jumping into the adult entertainment side of uh, comics every once in a while, because you know it it's it's going to happen. I remember uh, DC's uh, Dark Metal came out a couple years back. And everybody just saw that as like this all aspiring comic and everything like that because of the world that basically brought up with the dark multiverse and the DC realm. And then maybe later on in that year, after that comic book was finished, they came out with the Terrifics. And it was basically about Mr. Terrific having adventures in the dark multiverse, but it was like wacky and weird. It was like an LSD trip. It looked like a Hunter S. Thompson book half the time. You know what I'm saying? So somebody somebody thought of it from this perspective and then somebody thought of it but like yo this place is just weird let's just make it that way and then let's do that so yeah that works in both ways be like i somebody somebody actually saw is it, it's generally like somebody seeing a cave and somebody being frightened of it and then you had that other person that says let's go in and check that shit out that's right you know but um, hey man, shout out to the brave people that go with that that dive, dive headfirst in the caves. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> I look. Why man, not? Everybody has their their Goonies aspirations. I am one of them. I mean, not to say that I dive headfirst into problems or anything like that, but necessarily, if I want to be adventurous or anything, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. <laughs> but to continue, amen. amen. To continue, um. There was something that happened today in the news. Um, now, Unique Studios, a um, Pan-African uh, comic book company with a lot of African superheroes, signs a 10-book deal with Dark Horse Comics. That's right. Yeah, w- what did you think of that? Well, first of all, uh, shout out to Roy Akupe, man. He's a good yeah. friend and, and absolutely um, fantastic person you know what i'm saying as well as a talented writer and you know incredible businessman i'm just proud really proud of that dude because i feel like there's nothing that Roye can't do um and he's just a class act so shout out to Roye. um 
I thought it was dope, man. I mean, you know, last time me and Roy talked, like, you know, we were definitely talking about, you know, life and business and just like what it would be it would like to, you know, just pursuing more film stuff, more animation stuff, you know, building our libraries, so on and so forth. And, um, you know, I knew he was working on something. I didn't have an idea of what it was, you know what I'm saying, in terms of his next steps, because obviously this is a big deal. So I imagine they've been talking about it for a while. And, um, I, you know, I, I honestly hope that it's extremely successful for him. I'm sure it will. I'm sure the paperwork's right. And I'm curious to see what they're going to do with it, whether they're going to have a dark horse stable, a stable of artists, you know, jump in the books or how it's going to work or I'm very interested in then, you know, the nuts and bolts of it, you know? Right. Because uh, if, if we do recall, uh, I would say back in May, we had numerous comic book companies uh, during the um, racial disparities and the injustice and the, uh, the happenings that were happened that were revolving around the George Floyd murder that started to uh, reach out as far as to black creators and basically open up the doors for like the first time in their in their aspect, I believe it was Valiant, DC, and Marvel all came out and basically said that they want to integrate themselves in the market, ask for Black creators, as many as possible. Six months passed, and do we see much? I mean, not to my knowledge, except this is the only one that I'm just like, you know, my eyebrows raised up. But I, mm-hmm. I, other ones, I didn't really see anything. You know, it was kind of like... I said, like, I think, you know, lip service is something that, you know, every business does and makes them look like they're doing something, makes them look good to the shareholders. I mean, I'm a big, I'm not an environmentalist per se, but I'm like very pro-recycling. So it's like, when I read about recycling companies for years, lying to the public, oh yeah, well, you can recycle our product. Right. You can recycle our product. You know, a, a strawberries container, which you think it's a fucking clear, you know, you don't use it for very long, it can be recycled, but Apparently, it was a complete lie. So people pander and, and, and give you lip service all day, no matter who they are. Yeah. And it seems like it, even the comic book companies that basically came out and said those things weren't the only ones because there was a ton of other companies that did the exact same thing. And later on down the line, six months later, we didn't really see exactly what we were doing, you know, mm-hmm. what, what we were hoping for. I mean, I, I've noticed, of course, um, during that time, later on, maybe around three months down the line, there was um, DC's push at this. And it was um, it was the reintroduction of Milestone and bringing that universe basically back into the fold, uh, honoring the, the great Dwayne McDuffie and Dennis Cohen's and everything, and kind of like getting that back on track, even though a lot of us know the backlog and the horror story that happened back in like the 90s and the 80s. So it, it was, it, it, I guess it ruffled feathers to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, do we know exactly what's going to happen? Because um, cinematically, they talked about Static Shock being in, in development. Uh, they've all, and in essence of them talking about Static Shock being in development, they said that they didn't want to release it cinematically because they felt it would be deemed too risky. You know, so, but, but, a series maybe on HBO Max would help a little bit better. So when when they start to use those words, when the vocabulary starts to switch up every once in a while, that's where I start to look at it is like, it's not going to be perceived exactly how I want it. That's right. 
Yeah, you know, man, I, I think it's interesting because there's only one movie studio in my mind that has understood how to do comic book movies right in Marvel. Mm-hmm. You know, because they, on, they, they spent so much time giving away their IP and sharing their IP with other companies to stay afloat, you know, when they were hurting all those years ago. Yeah. And you saw, like, companies like Fox and Sony really butcher stories that, you know, could have been good. And I think the best storytellers, the people who create the stories. So, you know, it should be Marvel and their team of artists and writers that they're sitting down and having a powwow about what works, you know, across 10 years or 20 years or 30 years and planning it out. You know, fun fact about the comic book industry, this is what they do with books. So let's say I get hired to draw a book. It would be my job to draw three to f- three to five books behind the scenes before we even promote it. So when issue you've got issue two already ready, then you've got issue three, then issue four. And by the time people are getting ready to drop issue five, you're on another two or three of them. So it's kind of like you have everything planned out in advance. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. something I learned from a good buddy of mine who's working at DC and then eventually moved over to Marvel. So um industry is about planning and i think marvel does it the best with their movies and hopefully in other studios will will figure that same formula out or another formula that works for them right right that's true now and to get back to unique's brand new acquisition is this generally where where indie comics want to go do they do is this i mean it's a good move for him but is it is it necessarily the same thought process in line for a lot of indie companies that are out there to basically get a good size book deal with a major distributor? I mean, I would say that it's definitely something to consider seriously and think about as part of your business. I think someone like Roy, who has built a very, um, strong fan base online through Kickstarter and through, you know, his own personal means of reaching out to people. Um, you know, he's got a dedicated fan base that will mm-hmm. follow him wherever, which is exactly what we want as creators. That's like the number one thing, no matter what you do. And this is something that Joe Casada told me along with, you know, a group of other interns over pizza at Marvel back in 2010 that, what gets people to come to what you're doing is butts in the seats. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? You put in needs, it's like going to a baseball game. Like your title, your character, your IP has to be the one that are hitting the balls out of the park. So the fans will come to see this show. And, uh, and that, you know, it's something that always stuck with me, like, you know, but building the right way. I think for me, building the right way was always one-on-one with folks, being real, being a person and, and getting to know, home and, and it really you know what I'm means a lot so i think with uh something like this with you know the merger act well the acquisition well it wasn't an acquisition as, as i was reading it it was a distribution deal right and publishing you know imagine with the dark horse reach it kind of spreads across uh you know not only across the united states but further into um, oh, yeah, you know, further into other interstitial radical going everywhere, and um, with something like that, I think it's pretty dope. So, it's like Unique Studios becomes a worldwide brand, um, even more than it had was before. And uh, 
I guess for me, I always get curious about distribute. Well, in terms of how are they distributing? Because obviously we had this this issue with Diamond that that happened, and yes, this whole freeze that even the big dogs like DC couldn't get their books out. So it's like, what does that look like for um, you know, did Dark Horse have any issues? Did have any other? I don't know. I always say to people when they ask me about that, I'm like, yo, on New York Comic Con 2019, I get approached by a rep from Diamond. And personally, for me, what they were trying to offer deal wise was not something that was attractive to me because I would make more money going to cons and selling my books by my selling my books online than what they were going to offer me. Now, I would get more visibility, but it's same time like like i i don't that's another tip too i want to talk tell people like don't sell yourself short in your ip because everybody wants a piece of creative ip because they know that especially if you've been around that you they can make money off of it you got to make sure that the paperwork's right or you know don't give away something that you love just for you know scraps you know what i'm saying definitely i mean i can see i can see the, the pros and the cons from it from from your your perspective and a lot of other indie comic companies would would possibly like see the would like to hold on to a lot of their IP, hold on to a lot of their storylines and everything, and just hope that they wouldn't get skewed in any type of fashion, even in the distribution process. And then on the other end, you can basically see it as I get a 10 book deal to basically showcase my book to people that normally would not see it. And on the regular side, I, I do get to go to cons and nationally, I, I get my book out there. I probably would, I would probably make maybe the same type of money, but to have more of a broader reach versus the money part, that's, that's the, that's the weighing scale, you know? Absolutely. I mean, any deal you go with, I mean, whether it's for image or, you know, um, you know, you're doing a co-collaborative deal with like Aftershock or some of these other small dynamites and these smaller publishers, um, there's going to be something in there where, you know, you are in effect um, giving something away. You know, it's just not like you get 100% like you would before, like there's always a give and take. So I said, you know, I, I think it just depends on the business person. And I know for a fact that Roy is super sharp. So it's like absolutely certain that whatever deal he struck, it works so well for what he's doing with unique studios and you know 10 books is a lot of books it's it's definitely you know solid but i mean i imagine it's like them testing the waters to say hey you know what's you know how many people will come over to this this ball game you know what i'm saying yeah and how many people will this what we have going on and then you know they may be renegotiate at some point in time and maybe it's even a bigger partnership and that's really dope in my mind because um you know it makes Dark Horse with fans that they have at Dark Horse is really kind of like, you know, grungy, um, you know, millennial, um, what's it called? I was in rock type kids. Like it's, you know, the mm-hmm. Dark Horse books are always been like a very, it's like the emo group, you know, per, you yeah. know comic book company, you know what I'm saying? Like they, they do the, 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 the really demonic. Yeah, they're the goth kids. <laughs> you know, Mar- Marvel's kind of the, you know, I say, well, DC's kind of the jocks. Marvel's like the nerds that get the hot chicks, you know what I'm saying? And then you've got <laughs> the goths that are that are dark horse. <laughs> right. For right. real. 
It's like, yo, dude, the Jack's like, yo, we've been around here way longer. We got like these dope, you know, man, very manly, manly stories and mm-hmm. marbles over here, like, you know, making billions of dollars and bagging the, the bad chicks. Cause you know, that's how oh, that works. Definitely. It's crazy. So to get back to Okamis 4, now released in 2020 during the pandemic, the final goal, yes, you, raise, you raised a little more than $20,000 for this book, which was amazing. And I look, at that t- I look at that time frame uh, within 2020, a lot of indie companies basically putting out their books through Kickstarter and everything like that. The, the fact that that's on your resume, that you released a book in the middle of a pandemic and it made the money that it made. There's a lot of work that goes into that. Amen. Like, how, how, did, how did that make you feel? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yo, um, you know what I'm saying? Like, so here's the crazy thing, man. Like, I've been grinding the con circuit for a long time. And I mean, because this is the thing. Like, I, I look at it like this. Like, you can be visible online. You can be visible. There's there's a million different ways to skin a cat. There's a lots of different ways to get to the finish line. You could, you know, take an airplane or you could, you know, stand and run or you could take whatever way you take to get to the finish line as long as you get there that's all that matters so it's like i've never taken too much stock in building an online the real currency is people one-on-one connection that's to me what makes is the essence of what comics and comic conventions and these stories are about is relating to the writers relating to the stories it's personal thing because it's personal entertainment, you know what I'm saying? Like people take stories and they really like just them and, and process them different. Every, every single person is different. That's why it's like kids like us grew up talking about X-Men with our friends in, in class and everybody had a different perspective. Oh man, Psylocke is better. Oh, Wolverine is better. You know what I'm saying? Like it's always one of those things that it's a very personal entertainment experience. So um for me, man, I put a lot of lot of time in investing in people and doing conventions. I was I did five years worth of conventions back about ten to fifteen years um, all over the states. You know what I'm saying? So I was really building a solid fan base in person. I was doing lots of book signings, doing tons of events that were comic book centered. And then prior to me getting into the business as a professional in twenty in twenty fifteen, you know, I had already had been circulating the convention um, scene like since 2005. So like from 2005, 2010, when I was an intern at Marvel, I was around the convention scene, getting to know my stars, getting to know the companies. What would it look like to work for one of these companies? Did I want to work for these companies? Did I want to just publish? It helped me understand more of what the business was. So taking that knowledge and being like, and then those experiences and those relationships I already built, it was like, okay, cool. I, I already did media before it was a platform. Like, like I was doing social media in person, but with the old school way. Right. So when a lot of people like, yo, how can you make 20 K in a month? And it's your very first Kickstarter. I'm like, well, you know, it's the, the fans, man, they showed up, they were there. Yeah. And it's the same folks that I've been building with for the past decade, basically. Definitely. The one thing I equate that storyline to, and this is going to seem odd. Uh, I used to be in the nightclub business for about 10 years. So I ran a nightclub for 10 years. 
and one of my DJs was D Nice. So if anybody that does not know the story of how D Nice basically blew up this year, um, necessarily he hasn't been that big on social media. A lot of people know him as being an old school artist from BDP. A lot of people know him as a DJ. Didn't really have that big of a social media following. Decides to do just old school uh, live streams on Instagram back when you could do that because now they'll shut you down in like 30 minutes. <laughs> so he decides to do that. And because of the fact that this man has shaked hands and, you know what I'm saying, hugged everybody in the business and it all capitalized within a week. All of a sudden he just kept doing these streams and they started to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's because this man has basically been around the entire globe and he has been the nicest dude possible. Shaking hands, kissing babies, being the politician that he is, you know what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden it just blew up and it, it blew up. This is your first Kickstarter. This was kind of his first like jump on social media. And then all of a sudden it grows. You go look at D's page now. It's got 2.4 million dollars, 2.4 million followers on his page. But people think it's equated to the fact that, yeah. you know, somebody of that age who has done who has been around the block necessarily didn't really do a lot of social media before. But the thing is, whenever he's out in public, He's not skewed in the persona that he is. And I feel the same with you. This being your first Kickstarter, you've been around the entire country sell selling and showcasing your book, whether it's whether the book has been in front of them or you've had to be the, the mouthpiece of how it's been perceived to, to the customer. And then all of a sudden you do your first Kickstarter and it's like, it's like magic. It looks like it's, it's not that much work, but it's actually years of work. It's decades of work. That's right. That's right. Yeah, man. I'm because uh, again, like you know, people are just like, "Yo, man, how do you?" Like, there's no real bullet. And I was trying to say, you know, instead of thinking about how much money you make or focusing on the money part, because I mean, comics are expensive. I get it, but it's like if you're really about this life, like you got to sacrifice. So you get it, you get, you know, your, your tax, your income tax return comes in, save that bad boy. You know what right. I'm saying? Put money away for like a year or two before you start investing in, you know, mm -hmm. in anything like just play, like take the old school business mentality of save your money, build a business, do it that way. Instead of always expecting folks to kind of give their money. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's true. You can't be gimme, gimme, gimme all the time. Like you got to invest your own money in there too. Like you got to be your ultimate Kickstarter. You can be the best salesman possible and still have a shitty product. You might be able to sell salt to a snail, but the salt don't taste like salt, <laughs> you know? So like, <laughs> So necessarily, you know, I've seen this cats do the crazy Neds type deal with their comics and everything. And then you go in and read it and be like, who wrote this shit? You know, like, yeah. like, it, like it's been perceived as that. So necessarily when you see a lot of, a lot of companies that are basically starting out, they're not, they're not sort of uh, perpetuating how they're going to write their story, how they're going to put it out. Are there any cliffhangers possible? Is there an origin story to this person? Is there anybody else within this storyline that could carry the book if needed to? You know, those are the questions that I would look for in how this is going to get put out there. Because regardless of being in the indie world, and there's a lot of great stories out there, there's also a bunch of shitty ones. <laughs> Sorry to yeah, say. Man. And see, the thing too is for me, it's um, 
you know, there's so many different types of books and it's always good to see a variety. I just, I guess for me, like when I want people to see myself as a creator and the books we put on, I want it to be like, yo, that's not like any story I've seen. Right. Or the story types aren't the same. And it's like so many, you know, companies are using, you know, uh, like types of stories that are very much recycled. They've been done before. And it, mm-hmm. it's a little shame for me to see because I'm like, every uniqueness, I want to see more difference. But, you know, sometimes people just like a good old superhero story. And, and that's totally cool. You just got to do what, what you like and then, you know, get that group of folks that do like it as well. Yeah, because what we've, what we've seen in the past year or so in the world of indie comics is that people have come to realize that there's actually genres in comic books. Like people have come out of the blue and be like, I've never seen a horror comic book before. I was like, you haven't? It's like at all? They're like, I never knew that there was like sci-fi driven comic books. I thought they were all superhero based. No, that's, you know, it's like, like, like I remember reading brother man comics back in the day, like, like back in like the nineties and everything that had nothing to do with being a superhero at all. You know, yeah. to, for, for anybody that had the chance to dabble in those comics, it was pretty much an everyday tale about, you know, brother man in that comic and, and to see like people in all that you can actually genre bend in comics or it it it's it, it kind of confuses me to to a sense because they think of of comics as just like one-sided there's only one way you can write them there's only one way you can draw them why do it this way but then the best storylines come out of like uh comics that you don't see even brought into that fashion v versus Ven- uh, v for vendetta is a comic book History of Violence is a comic book. Road to Perdition is a comic book. Comic book, yeah. Those are comic books. I mean, it's a gangster tale, a sort of like dystopian futured uh, glass ceiling type of type of movie. And then History of Violence is just like a dope ass story tale. Some amnesiac, uh, amnesiatic uh, man who comes to find out that he was a hitman before he lost his memory. Like that's, that's a dope storyline mm-hmm. and they were all comic books and very great movies. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. No, I mean, like I said, I think some of the best movies um, ever have been, you know, are a comic book format, you know, or have either come from comics or follow a comic book style format. Like when, mm-hmm. like one of my favorite movies is um, the mask of Zorro. And when you think of this movie, it's very much like a, it's a superhero movie a, but it's so well done. You know, you have the old man character, you know, you have the young, you know, the young hero or, you know, the young coming of age hero that's finding his way, you know, since it's very much a powerful organ story, a beautiful woman that is connected somehow, like a very evil villain. Like the story's been done a million times, but it's done so well that, um, you know, you had to think that. You know, obviously Zorro has been a comic book before. It's been, you know, a, a novel. It's been a story for a long time, but the comic book style format is something that's kind of tried and true and it works and it's you know westerns copied it like there's so many things that have copied comics for for forever yeah you know how many arguments i gotten got with people and told them that riverdale is archie comics like like uh, these were like arguments i would have with friends it it was like it was like (laughs) it was like yo this real like dark character called jughead i'm like jughead archie i'm like that's 
That's an Archie comic. Veronica, Betty and, Betty and Veronica. This is all an Archie comic. They just made this dark ass tale revolving around the characters from Archie comics. And that's like, like a teenage uh, slapstick love story, comedy, all brought in the one revolving around high school, tumultuous uh, relationships. I mean, that can happen, you know, and, and people don't necessarily get that in their head about that. That's right. Yeah, man, I, I said it's like um, the, the, the beautiful part about inspiration and where it comes from is it can be really anywhere. So it's like you get something like Archie and you want to make it dark and gritty and weird. I mean, that's just kind of dope. I and mean, one of my favorite um, things is when I think, uh, what was this? They did like a parody of the Power Rangers years and years ago where it was, um, I think it was Joseph Kahn, that video director. He did like a very grungy, gritty version where like Zach was doing coke and killing people. And wow. like it just, I, I love shit like that, man. Like it's just, it's, it's crazy yeah. to me because the gritty part where like just the polar opposite of what a normal story is, is always fun to see. And so, so we hope to do stuff like that with our books, man. Just tell stories that are just like off the wall and different and just kind of genre bending if you will definitely man now what what do we where do we see in these next two uh, next two issues where okamas could end up as far as the story of kale and, and i mean no uh, now i don't want to tease it for anybody that hasn't read the book but barnabas is a badass villain bro yeah so um yeah, so at this point, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, I'm going to get into some spoiler stuff. Just a little bit. Not a whole lot, but yeah, don't, don't there's kill. a little bit of spoiler stuff if you haven't read the earlier issues. <laughs> so um, what we're going to see with OMS issue five and six is, so at the end of issue four, we see Kale has taken on a more, a, a different transfer, a transformation. He went from you know, kind of the, uh, how I say the hunted, and he now is literally a hunter. He has the, he has donned or, or absorbed the same abilities of the people that are, are coming after him. Mm-hmm. And doesn't know why, like when there's some type of genetic connection between him and then one of the other characters that's a villain that's pursuing him. So there's this weird tether that we're going to explore in issue five and what that means. And, and we're going to get a little bit into the history of what it is that's making these characters who they are and why they're doing what they're doing. So it's going to be very much a calm, chill, more story-driven narrative for number five. And then issue six is going to be kind of like the climax. You know what I'm saying? That's going to be a maxi-sized issue with, you know, um, a battle royale, if you will, because at that point, um, you know, Kale uh, is a force to be reckoned with. He was, you know, a scared little kid, and, you know, now he's, you know, grown to be relatively formidable so how do these people that are uh, are tasked with taking him excuse me taking him back into this future you know how are they going to com- accomplish their mission will they accomplish their mission right and we kind of see this uh um, again the aftermath of what what's what will a group of people do what's the furthest that they will go to accomplish their mission and you kind of saw that in issue three of Okamist that Sada, the leader of the hunters, killed over 200 people yeah. and didn't blink an eye like because he's that determined to finish his mission. I was well, just what, How far will he go in issue six to 
Yeah, I was just about to say that. Like, it's it almost came to the point where he's like desensitized to the amount of murder that he he can he can basically put out there. And I see that happen in the kale as well. Oh, yeah. That's why it, it's kind of interesting, man, because like I said, like all of the destruction that Kale causes throughout issue three and four, you know, I'm sure there's there's folks that have been murdered, that have been killed, that have been that, you know, in his wake, he's, you know, become maybe what they thought he was, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Maybe, you know, or, you know, maybe he's fighting to to not become that. And that speaks to the the, the dark side we all have. Like, like, are we going to take a step over that line and take it to the, that next level where we're, you know, no longer, you know, in t- touch with our humanity. It's true, man. It's true. And it, it, when should we start to expect issue five to come out? Man, I'm a bust. My, so, so <laughs> not so fun fact, my Wacom tablet, what, which, which I draw Oakness on, I draw digitally. Now it stopped working maybe two months after I completed issue four. So the workhorse got tired and needed some new shoes. And uh, <laughs> we uh, I had to send it back into Wakeham and I should be getting it back tomorrow. So I'm actually going to be starting drawing Oakmas 5 this weekend. And I'm going to grind. I'm going to push really hard and try to get it to everybody within the next couple of months. And then my goal would be by the end of this year to have issue six done or at least halfway done. So by the time 2022 rolls around, this that series finishes and then we've got other books that we can kind of give everybody too bro that's excellent and look for anybody that has not integrate integrated themselves with this storyline please please feel free to do so and tj how can these people get these books it's super easy um i'm everywhere uh at tj sterling art is my instagram if you want to follow my uh, ray comics page it's at ray comics r-a-e comics uh, but I would say go to the website. We've got digital comics, we've got t-shirts, we got toys, we got art prints, we've got tons of books, variant covers, the whole nine. Um, RayComics.com, R-A-E, comics.com. And uh, yeah, I would absolutely love for you guys to take a look at the series. I guarantee you, you will love it. Now, now one, one person that I hope that Comic-Cons open back up, and I'm pretty sure that you will hit the market just as hard is how you've had like this your first kickstarter and how successful that has been for you to get back out there in the game it's going to be special man i i can't wait bro like i said for me um conventions are really the lifeblood for independent artists you know what i'm saying like kickstarters are good but like i said it's it's you know between you know you and me and whoever's watching it's like you know ray comics as a business in 2019 made 35k mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying it's like that's really good for a side business, you know, for a business that you're doing on, you know, doing, I want to say on the side, because I spend more time doing this than my, my, my full-time job. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we are doing this as a passion business and building it so it can kind of take over your full income and whatnot. Um, you know, we do relative, really, really good on 2019. And, and the beautiful thing about cons is that you just never know what type of stride you're going to hit. You could go to a different show and you know, make eight hundred or a thousand or two thousand in a day, or you can make five grand in a weekend, or make you could make nothing. You know what I'm saying? Like it's true. the um, excitement of conventions is always kind of like there for me, and because I just I love it. I like I like meeting people. I like building with 
them. I mean, when you treat these people are really dope, they got your back. I mean, I've been invited to weddings. I've stayed at their house for cons. Like it's, it's really like, it's a beautiful thing, man. The fans are dope and I really wouldn't be here without their support, you know, but for like all the years, you know, prior to that, man. So I can't wait to see everybody in person again. It's a big thing for me. That's what's up, man. Well, TJ, I appreciate you doing this, brother. This has been dope. All right. Hey, man, anytime, Doug. Absolutely. Yes, sir, man. And, and please, everybody, Master Facts, watch his show. Uh, watch all of his previous episodes. Follow my man. It's, everything this dude does is dope, and I'm just happy to be a part of it in some way, shape, or form. I appreciate that, bro. Now I ain't even got to say anything. <laughs> For real. I mean, I got to play you. I got to plug you, man. You plugging me like I got to plug you too, Doug. All day. That, that's my job. All right. Yes, my man. All right. Facts Project. And we out.